Welcome to the Coming Clean Podcast with your host, Peter O. For over 25 years, entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO Peter O. Estevez has built businesses all over the world, and today he shares his experiences, failures, and successes along the side of some of the most sought-after thought leaders to help you pave your way to success. Please welcome to the show your host, Peter O. Estevez. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Coming Clean. This is uh, an incredible day. We have a uh, good friend of ours from the other side of the pond, Nick Bradley, with us today. Nick is a world-renowned business growth and upscale scale-up specialist who has obsessional business leaders to unlock their potential. He is also the host of UK's number one business podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Scale Up Your Business which has over 100,000 downloads and growing each and every day. Welcome, 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 and thank you for being with us today. Peter, it is absolutely a delight to be here today with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. Likewise. Nick, you know, these are interesting times. We are in a, um, a world that has changed tremendously overnight. And in my opinion, it has given us an opportunity both personally and as leaders of our respective communities to step up and lead. Uh, and I think it's a time when as leaders, we need to look at ourselves, we need to look at our businesses, our communities, our families, everything around us, and we need to reinvent ourselves. We need to innovate and we need to step up and look at our playground and see how we make it better. Wouldn't you agree? Listen, I, I've studied this stuff <laughs> for weeks now, and I've had conversations with multiple business owners around this. But, you know, I've got a, a strong belief that you can, see, you can see the negative and you can see the positive in anything if you choose to, to act in whatever way you choose to act on that. And so what I've noticed over the last few weeks, it's been a quite an interesting study on human behavior, human psychology, and how people deal with change. So I've had some people that are kind of going into hibernation, literally so you know um kind of caught up by fear that they find it really really hard to correlate what's going on and then i've got people at the other extreme who are hustling that whole 10x you know methodology because again it's all driven by fear but what's fascinating to me is if you can if you can as you said you know be the best leader that you can be of yourself and you can stay present and, and give yourself the space to be able to kind of see what's really going on and play it for what it is, there are many, many opportunities out there now. I think it's a very exciting time, a very positive time, even though I also appreciate that for a lot of people, there's been a lot of drama and trauma as a result of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, if we look at history, and history is our biggest teacher, right? If we look at history and we look at what happens in the 2000s and 2008, you know, after 9-11, you got a company like Uber, you got companies like uh, Facebook, you got companies like um, Amazon, you got com a lot of companies that were born out of crisis, you know? And the interesting part about that, that most of those companies were born out of first-time entrepreneurs. Yes. 
Yes, indeed. Well, you know what the thing is, though, about that, Peter, right, is most of the time, the most successful businesses, when they certainly when they start and they go from startup into scale up, it's when they, they can identify a problem to be solved. And it's usually a problem to be solved for a very clear community or, or niche of people. And so when you have something like what's happening now with COVID and the other examples you just spoke about, the problems are intensified because they're, they're kind of so focused. People can see them more clearly. So entrepreneurs who are great at problem solving start to see those opportunities. And that's why you've had countless examples. Even Apple, if you go back, came through that same thing. And that's why, because it's, it's actually quite a great, it's a fantastic time to be able to start a business because all of those things are so obvious when you, when you open your mind to them. And, 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 you know, we can look at that two ways, okay? So time to, for us to reinvent, uh, reinvent ourselves, innovate, create, and bring out new opportunities. We have also seen, uh, as a result of social media, uh, a slew of uh, wannabe entrepreneurs. A lot of people that pop up and they were going to teach us how to become rich overnight. They were going to teach us how to change and evolve. They were going to teach us a lot of things, a lot of people that were showcasing themselves in, in, in front of airplanes and luxury cars, luxury homes, mega mansions, all kinds of stuff. Where are those people today? Well, have you noticed what's happened? Have you noticed that, like, you know, it's quite easy to go and hire a red Ferrari for a day and go and do a film shoot, but a lot of those people have hidden under rocks. It's quite interesting, you know, and some of the, some of the biggest ones, and I'm not going to name names on the podcast, but they're the ones who are so parochial a few months back um, have now kind of got into the shadows. And what you're seeing, and I, I've got a mantra, Peter, which is in times like this, if you, if you focus on serving, so I say serve, 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 and the, the two things I kind of put in myself, so I create something, one, create something and I, every day, and I serve someone every day, my day is done. And that's where I think you're seeing people who have really got, you know, good good morals around this sort of stuff. They're really stepping up, whether they're you know, using social media to push that stuff out, you're seeing more of that going out there. But the fake printers, as you're talking about, they seem to have scattered when the lights came on. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I didn't use that as an example for us to criticize anybody or make judgment call on anyone else. I think it's important for us to recognize that because today, today is an opportunity for each individual, our audience, your audience collectively, to really know what's of value out there, what's important, okay? Yeah. Uh, as we as we making this self-inventory, as we making this reassessment, you know, I do that with my social media as well. I perch, you know, I go back to it, and if I see content that is not serving me in a way that I want to be served, so I in turn can serve others, I eliminate that content. And uh, and I I done that all through my all through my uh, social media. Uh, thing that I've been that I've been doing, you know, because it's important to me. You know, what we hear, what we see, what we consume is what we become. Okay, yes. uh, but there's also there's also going to be a new wave of opportunities. There's going to be a new wave. Every opportunity brings new challenges. Uh, every crisis brings new challenges, brings new opportunities, brings new innovations, and brings new people out. Okay, what would be the message? Uh, for uh, for someone new into the space, somebody that wants to create, somebody that wants to speak up, you know, somebody that wants to to create a an audience, to create a message, and to deliver as an entrepreneur. What would be your message to them today? Yeah, so a lot of the to, to, to answer that question effectively, I think one of the things I sort of say is why are people not doing it, or why have they not done it? Right. So there's a thing here where a lot of the time putting yourself out there in the world as it is to be judged is a thing that again drives fear 
So, so a lot of the times I sort of say to people, if your message is important enough to get out there, so it's not just about you, it's not just about what you want, if it can actually help someone, if it can serve someone, then actually you've got to get out of your head and you've got to be able to just take that brave step of starting. And so what I find a lot of people do is say, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to be judged. People are going to hate me. I'm going to have all these sort of things. Yeah, but let's say you can help someone, right? That's got to be more meaningful, more powerful. And if I kind of reflect on my own story, I was a bit like that. So I can kind of talk to it from my experience. I, I had a wealth of experience in private equity doing, you know, literally billion-dollar turnarounds of companies. Um, and I had all this information, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't want to put it out there. I didn't want to kind of, you know, go out there. And I thought, well, you know what? I, I have to do this because, you know, I want to contribute more. I could see all these, these good companies that were out there going backwards. And I thought, you know what, I can, I can help. I can change this situation. So the first thing I did, and you know this, we talked about it before we started recording, and I just started doing a podcast. And when I first started doing it, I found it really tough. You know, I had oh, the first few episodes. Oh, my God, you know, what do I sound like? But over time, you get these, these messages come in. And these messages come in like literally out of the blue and they're saying, you know what, you've changed my life. If I hadn't have heard your message, I wouldn't have done what I've done. I wouldn't have taken action. So my message to people now is if you've got something that can contribute and now is the time, particularly through all of this uncertainty, and you're holding that back, you're actually like not doing, not just doing yourself a disservice, but you're stopping other people from hearing that message and growing and getting to where they need to be. And that for me was the thing that changed things. Absolutely. That's the reason I'm here. Uh, Nick, uh, message, you know, that's, that's, that, that is very important. Today, uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of business people uh, that are having a hard time. They're, as we mentioned a minute ago, they're, they're, they're having to, to reinvent themselves, they're having to, to innovate, they're having to go back into their business, they're having to recreate themselves. Okay. What would be your advice, your comment, uh, your suggestions for what's going on in the world today and how does a business that still has foot on the ground but maybe struggling, how can they begin that process of, of reinventing themselves? Sure. So the first thing I'm going to say is probably a little bit um, unorthodox because it's the thing I, I'm sort of known for saying things that other people don't say. <laughs> Right, And quite often, it's not the business necessarily that needs to change first. It's the entrepreneur, it's the business leader, it's the founder, it's the CEO, whatever your title is. And it's usually a, you know, a looking in the mirror exercise because the identity that you have now is not necessarily the identity that's going to be required to make the change, to make the pivot, whatever that pivot is to get your business operating again. So the first thing I say is to people, you know, who do you need to become? And one of my kind of famous thoughts is a goal is not something that you move towards. It's something that you come from. You have to envision what that is going to be like first. And then you have to make sure that behind that vision is a strong why. And if you can get those things congruent with themselves, then what tends to happen is you have a, a bigger mission behind what you're trying to do. So that's the first thing I say. If you're not clear or you're feeling scared, there's a lot of uncertainty, but you know, you're kind of really lost in this kind of wilderness, if you like, between startup and scale up. The first thing you've got to get clear is who you are, who you need to be, what's your, what's your mission, what's your purpose. And then the second part of it is more mechanics. The first part is, let's say, mindset, mindset and vision. The second part is mechanics. So more often than not, strong businesses are built on you know, really clear problems, as we spoke about before, and really, really clear audiences. And I find that when you put those two things together, 
the idea of having to do marketing around that becomes less important because you are solving a meaningful problem. So the other advice I give to people if they're a business owner right now is try and project forward a bit. Give yourself thinking time and start to think about how the world is evolving and changing. A lot of people don't do that. They work so much in their business. They don't work on their business enough. And they're not seeing the opportunities because they're stuck in the day-to-day. So you have to actually diarize that time. I, I say give yourself at least an hour, if not two every week, just to ask yourself questions. So what is it that I'm not seeing? What is it that the world is going to be like? You know, uh, Twitter's just said that they don't expect anyone to come back to a place of work ever again. How's that going to affect my business? How can I do some stuff online? Because online is starting to grow in, in a way that it was always there, but now it's got it's taken on a new life because of this. Is there anything I can do? Not so much pivot, but is there something I can innovate in that space? And so by having that time, that gives you some strategies and gives you the inspiration to move forward. And then the last thing I advise is scale up is very much about processes and systems and metrics. So now's the time. If you've got the vision, understand what that looks like, but also understand where you are. Because if you know where you are and know where you're going, you can plot the course and plot the map. And then it's about being very clever about the things that are high value versus low value. And I often say to people, try and create systems and automation that allows the business to start to run like a machine. And then you can lead the ship as, a, as opposed to having to kind of be in there bailing out the water when things go wrong. You just said something that is, that, that is very important. You talked about scale up. You know, normally what most businesses are going to do or a lot of businesses are going to do that are not well-led, they're going to go into hibernation, they're going to slash costs, they're going to create layoffs. And a lot of times, the first thing that goes is advertising budgets, um, education, okay? Um, education of, of in, 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 uh, improving the quality of your employees, supporting your, 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 your staff, your, your, your peer group, Let's talk a little bit about that. How important or what areas is that we, that we need to look at our business not to cut slash, not to cut, not to slash? Not, where should we put the emphasis of our budgets right now? Well, you've, you've said two things that I advise people not to slash. <laughs> so marketing, is, it's an interesting one, this, because, again, it comes back to the psychology we said at the beginning. Some people go into massive fear mode. Now, the first thing I say is, okay, let's, let's try and remove that fear in an objective way as much as we can. And, and removing that fear is normally about removing um, the fear of cash flow drying up. So, so the first piece is let's work on your runway. So there's a thing here that how long have you got? Now, a lot of businesses, and this is, this is again, a challenging statement that I'm going to say, is that they haven't been managing the business effectively enough pre-COVID, and so they haven't got the cash reserves to survive. Now, there are ways of getting that money, right? There are ways of doing So the first thing I say is get yourself a runway of around six months. And then you can start to give yourself the space to come back to what I said before is think. The second thing I advise is double down on marketing. Now, whatever that marketing is, that's not necessarily about um, going out there and spending as much money on traditional advertising as you may have in the past, but do some clever things like social media effectively is free marketing if you use it well. Things like Facebook ads are the lowest rates they've ever been in something like 10 years now because people are all in this fear methodology. But if you can spend money on marketing, but also make sure that your message is about service, you know, people are going to remember you through this time because it's not a time necessarily to focus on sales conversion. It's a focus on time of building your audience, building your brand, building your awareness. And it's never going to be a more cost-effective time to do it, even though I appreciate that you know, people might be struggling with their cash. And the last point I want to make is 
you know, if you really want to keep your staff and you want to protect your culture, and there's a famous saying by Peter Drucker that sort of culture eats strategy for breakfast, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to not invest in your staff. You, you want to make sure that you are showing up in two ways. Okay, first and foremost, you have to be, as a leader, you've got to be empathetic. You've got to understand that where you are and where your team or your people may be may be different, right? So you have to meet them where they are. You have to show that you understand. Excellent point. And sec- yeah. And the second thing, and this is equally important, is you have to show that you are capable and competent. Now, you may have fear inside you and you may not have all the answers and it's cool to be vulnerable, but you need to show that you are there, to, to, you know, you are going to step up, you are going to show up and you are going to be the leader you need to be. If you can deliver those two things, then that's the most powerful bit. But what I wouldn't do is cut slash hide in a corner because if you do that, you're thinking too short term. And, you know, I don't think this is going to go on for that much longer, to be honest. I think we're going to have economic issues for a while. But there's a point where all of a sudden there's going to be a level of certainty lift. And if you hadn't, you know, haven't done the right things or the opportunities in that time, you are going to be backwards further than what you were had you have stepped up and thought a little bit more about the medium and long term. Absolutely. And again, to your point, there's a lot of uh, innovative and very affordable and even free resources available for every entrepreneur, podcasts, lives, social media, you know, just posting on your regular social media mediums, uh, platforms. I mean, there's tremendous opportunity to brand, not to sell. And I think that's important. The, 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 the people that are out there conveying a mission of compassion, of service, of support, of encouragement, they're, they're really capitalizing on the opportunity to create a brand and create a relationship with current and, pers- and future prospective uh, clients or customers. And I think that's, that's very, very important. Um, let's, let's talk about Nick Bradley. Okay. I did a very soft introduction and I do that on purpose because who is Nick Bradley? Why would we spend an hour with Nick Bradley and talk about, about business? I want people to know your curriculum, what you've done, what you have accomplished. Yeah, sure. Okay. Look, so my, my story, if you like, is an interesting one because I, if I go back a little bit, and I won't go back to bore everybody to death, <laughs> I, I had one of these careers, a corporate I, I, career. I doubt that. Your, your, your English accent is enough to keep them interested. It's a, it's a hybrid Australian English accent, and I'll get into that. So I was born in Australia, and I started my first business when I was 21. It was a fitness business. I was a personal trainer, and I sold that. And this is back in the sort of late 80s, right? So we're going back a bit when people didn't even know what personal training was. So I started that business, you know, got it up to about four staff, sold it, sold it with enough money to move to Sydney from, from Adelaide. And um, I started working in the media game with um, Rupert Murdoch, News International. And I had a corporate career, which was, you know, from the outside looking in was, was stunning. You know, I was a board director of a, of a large sort of what's called a, a Fortune 500 company, um, to use the sort of US terms, uh, before I was 30. Uh, I then moved in to be a chief exec of private equity-backed firms before I was 40. Um, made a lot of money, big house, nice cars, all of that sort of stuff, right? So on the outside, everyone's looking at this going, wow, you know, this guy's got it made. But there was something, there was something, Peter, that was just, chipping away, right? I had all this stuff. And, and you know what was funny, right? Hindsight's a great thing. I was looking back and I had all this achievement. I was, you know, I was probably, to be frank, not a very nice person to be around. I would, I would rip people apart to get to the next level. Everything was about achievement significance, getting to the next rung, the next rung, the next rung. And when I kind of got there, 
got there in certain ways, I realized how unfulfilling the whole thing was. And so a couple of things happened. Um, I, I, I turned to different things to try and have escapes. And I didn't quite understand at the time. So I didn't, I didn't go into kind of drinks and drugs and things like that. But I went into running. And I ended up running um, 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons over the course of a few years just to give myself, to, to kind of clear my head of everything that was going on. Because when you run 100 miles in one hit, what tends to happen is you have to be so, so present. So any of the stress or any of the things going on in my head was just gone. I was just 100% in this pain cave. So I did all that. And then something else happened, which was quite bizarre. So my, my father left me when, when I was two years of age, and he came back into my life when I was in my mid-30s. And, you know, again, hindsight, a wonderful thing. Everything that I did in my life to kind of climb the corporate ladder, to drive, to kind of beat other people, was because I was trying to fill a gap that had been missing for so long. And I had all these stories from my family about how much of a horrific person my dad was. Anyway, he came back into my life um, and he came back for a year and then he passed away very suddenly within 12 months. So we met. He, he didn't have cancer when we met again, but he got cancer and died very, very quickly. But we had this amazing 12 months and he met my kids and, and all this stuff. And I realized that he was an amazing entrepreneur. He had this amazing entrepreneurial mindset and he wasn't the person I thought he was. And I'd followed this path trying to kind of prove something to him that I was this amazing individual, realizing that I didn't have to do any of that. Wow. So I had, yeah. And this is, this is the kind of kicker, right? So I had this experience. So around when he was, he was um, sick and I was doing a very big private equity deal, I, uh, literally uh, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, I went to bed one night and I literally woke up at about three in the morning and I'd cracked all of the teeth down the right side of my jaw. And literally, it was like I'd been punched in the face. It was like swollen. I had no idea what had happened. I thought I'd been bitten by something. It was just unbelievably painful. And I went to, went to the doctor first and then the dentist, and they said that I'd cracked my teeth purely through stress, so the bucket of stress and everything in my life had built up. And so after that, after that experience, I thought, I've got, to change. I've got to change stuff. And what I did is I called up a mate of mine, and he said, listen, you know, why don't you go away for a few days? Why don't you go to an event? And I said, yeah, what do you recommend? And he said, go to a Tony Robbins event. So I did, right? And I was a bit of a cynical guy. And I'm going, who's oh, this idiot, right? This, this kind of, you know, massive guy. He's got hands the size of like, you know, whatever else, you know. I ran 57 marathons. I have all the money in the world. I have the car. I, don't need I, have, this. I have everything. I don't, I don't need, need nobody to teach me. <laughs> so anyway, so, so I'll tell all your listeners, I cried like a baby for four days. Because I started to have all these weird epiphanies going on about what, you know, because you start to understand how you work, you understand how you tick, right? So people who think Tony Robbins is all this rah-rah, it's not. There's a lot of practical stuff that sits underneath it, right? And then I, I worked out some patterns of behavior, which I wasn't proud of. So what I did is, you know, and I'm getting to the end of the story now, everyone, I made a decision straight after that event. It's called Unleash the Power Within. I made a decision that I was going to change everything. So I made the decision during those four days and then I spent the next 18 months implementing and building the plan. So I didn't come back and quit my, my job and everything that I'd been doing. I didn't do it straight away. Some people say you've got to do that and whatever. I was more strategic about it. But I said, you know what? I need to balance my life around both achievement and contribution. I need to get my message out there. I need to you know, live to my real values and my real purpose, which is not the thing I was living to for the first 25, 30 years of my career. 
So from that, the podcast was born. From that, you know, a whole heap of other businesses. And over the course of now three years, I've I've now got seven separate businesses that I own. Um, basically, three of those have been through um, acquisition. Four of those have been through startup. Ten um, separate lines of income. Um, much, much happier. So it's not just about the success on that side. Much happier because I live life on my terms. See my kids more, exercise more. If you saw my face, right, you know, I'm 45 now. If you saw my face a few years back, it would have been much more kind of crinkled up. And, ah. You look very young. You look in your early 30s. You know what, though, and you must know this, when you find what you're meant to do, when you find your purpose and it's no longer work, it's just a mission, everything changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what happens. You you become present. You become alive. You know, a couple of lessons that I learned as you were sharing your story running 57 plus marathons, you know, you were not running from you. You were running towards you. You were finding yourself. You were seeking and finding. And, and, and I think I had already read that story where you, your father came into your life and, and the parallels of the uh, entrepreneurship, the interests of you two had in, in common, where that came from. Let's talk about your grandfather. Your grandfather was a huge influence in you. And he actually asked you, he said, if you do anything, anything else after you fail your first degree in science, you make sure you get a degree. Let's talk a little bit about him. You know, I think it's important for people to see the human connection in us. The fact that, that, that you know, I think a lot of times we separate ourselves from what's real, okay? And we create a persona that people gravitate to, but they also got to relate to us. No, I agree. And, you know, it's funny. Yesterday would have been his 92nd birthday. Yeah, wow. powerful. And I called, I called up my grandma, who's almost 90. I call her up every single year, both on his birthday and the day that he died, just to make sure that she knows that I'm thinking about her. Wow. But he was, it's a great question. And I know, you know, it's an important part of the story because he adopted that male influence. So in many ways, if someone asked who my dad was, I'd say my dad was him. And he was the person who kind of, he always showed up to anything I did. He was always there. And he was a really strong man. He was the first Australian to run a marathon um, after open heart surgery. He had a double bypass surgery in around 1984. And I remember going to watch him run the marathon and everyone said he'd die. And I was 10 years of age. And I remember he bought me, it was my birthday, the day of the, it was my 10th birthday, the day of the marathon. And he um, bought me this massive TV, like stupidly expensive TV for the time. <laughs> and he said, listen, I just wanted to buy you a big gift because I don't think I'm going to make it. Wow. And he eventually did. He ran the marathon in just over four hours. I mean, it's a great time. And that was after having literally, you know, surgery. Surgery as it is now for, for heart surgery is much better than it was back in the 80s. Sure, sure. Um, but he, he was, you know, to your question, he had one thing and it was he never got the opportunities around education. So he paid for me to go to a very expensive school. Again, all of his money went into me. He invested massively in me and he wanted me to get a degree. And I think there was a lot of you know, why I did what I did was also about trying to make sure that I pleased the investment and the time he put into me as well. Um, but it, a lot of who I am and a lot of that kind of striving to, to do more, to be more, to help people came from the influence I had from him through those early years. Now, do you have any other mentors? I do now, but I didn't have any mentors. You know, he was probably the only mentor I had growing up that spent time in, in what I would call 
influencing my values. Okay. You know, um, and a lot of who I am now, a lot of what I believe in now, particularly my work ethic and things like that have come from him. But there was a gap for a long time. What is the biggest lesson that you have learned as a result of C-19? In terms of myself? In terms of yourself. I, it's a really, it's a great question because I'm very clear on the answer. In situations like this, when, when everything else feels like it's getting ripped apart, I show up. It feels like my time. I, I feel a little bit, I, I kind of want to be a bit more humble in how I explain that to people because I'm not like, hey, wow, look at me, I can solve every problem. Wow, I'm this, I'm this amazing super guy, right? It's not that. It's just that I feel that I step into a leadership role in a different way when, when, when something like COVID is around. I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm coming into myself in a more powerful way. You know, you talked a minute ago about how people today, uh, I'm going to shift a little bit because now I want to get into the business part of it. Um, uh, you talked about how a lot of people today are 10 X in it. You know, they're showing up and, and grind, 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 grind. Is that really the right message to give? I mean, isn't there a moment to pause and grieve and process and, analyze and then move forward or should we just ignore everything and grind 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 no it's it's one of those things where i think it depends on the individual but i but i also think there's a point where if you stay in either state or either kind of um psychology really for too long it can be counterproductive so one of the things i believe is slowing down to speed up it's a navy seal quote actually but i think the more you slow down to give yourself time and space the more you can then act with precision the more you can get back to my point around thinking, the more you can get yourself clarity. But to draw on, on the two paradigms of hibernation versus 10x, assume they are you know, two sides of, a, of, a, of a, a dimension. If you stay in hibernation for too long, and I know some people still are, I mean, I've had these conversations with, with business, business owners over the last few weeks. I'm saying, listen, it's, it's been months now. I get that you need to grieve. But if you stay there for too long, it's, it's now counterintuitive and counterproductive. Equally, all the people who are 10xing and not giving them the space, I see massive burnout. I'm seeing people at the moment getting sick, not because of COVID, because of 10x. And I like, I tune it to this, Peter. It's a bit like, you know, if you're a race car, you know, there's a piece, there's a thing why race cars, you know, they pit. They pit for a reason. <laughs> and they pit because, you know, there's a point in time where they just have to get that, you know, it's not because they need to, they can keep going, but if they keep on going, they're going to blow up. So you've got to have these points where you slow down just to give yourself that space. So that's what I believe. Anyone doing ex the extreme of either of those things is probably not serving themselves and setting themselves up to be in the best position to maximize what COVID is and will be um, in the future. And when it comes to business leaders, what would be the advice that you would give them on how to move forward and move slowly and cautiously in transition in their companies into the new phase? Yeah. So I think what I say to a lot of people is don't necessarily think back, back to the whole kind of you have to change everything. There's a piece here where some business models are going through, you know, pretty drastic time. I mean, I've got a couple of clients in the travel industry and, and they are really feeling it right now and they're struggling to work out where their, where their pivots and changes could be. 
what I say to them is I say, listen, there's a point here where people, it's not like people are not going to travel again. They may travel differently, but there's going to be a massive slingshot, a bounce back when that happens again. So get ready for that. Get ready for the fact that I don't know about how you feel. I'm really looking forward to getting on a plane again and going somewhere. Absolutely. And it's a big big part of my life. Yes, absolutely. Right. So, so in situations like that, I'm saying, okay, you know, it's going to be different, but it's going to come back. How are you going to then evolve yourselves? What are you going to invest in? It could be in your proposition. It could be in your product. It could be in your marketing. It could be in your team and your culture. How are you going to change to adapt to that? And then there's another scenario where, you know, you might have a business which is absolutely flying right now. <laughs> You've got, you know, online learnings, you know, online retail, uh, logistics and distribution for obvious reasons. And so there's a point here where, okay, you've got all this momentum. How are you going to capitalize on that momentum? So it comes back to what we said before. If you're the leader, you need to um, make sure that you are putting in strategies that are both for the short term and the long term. Okay, and that sounds simple, but you'd be so surprised how many people don't think about the long term. So they make short-term decisions because they see an opportunity or a challenge and they don't think what's going to happen in, say, 12 months from now. So I advise on, on both of those things. I said, what do you need to do now but what do you need to do over the next two to three years? And that comes back to vision and strategy. Second thing I'm advising everyone to do is to change their cadence of how they think about planning. So I think personally the idea of a 12-month planning cycle is dead. All right? The world's accelerating. Technology is helping that. And I now advise everyone to work on a 90-day cadence. So do you remember I- back – 90-day cadence, 90-day cadence. And I'll explain kind of what I mean by that just to give some practicality to people. Do you remember the days when people used to have five-year plans in business? Yeah. Right. You know, we did, right? They're gone. You know, they're gone, right? And then, then you've got kind of three-year visions now, and then you've got 12-month annual planning cycles. A lot of businesses still do the 12-month planning. The problem with that is that it gives, you to, it gives yourself and the business too many places to escape and to hide. Because, ah, you know, two weeks, three weeks go by here. We didn't quite hit the numbers. We're behind a bit. We've got a whole nother, whatever it is, nine, ten months to catch up. It'll be fine. And I think that, I just think the world's changed so much so quickly that you don't really have those two to three weeks in the same way anymore. So 90-day cadence for me is saying, okay, what, what's the one to three things that you want to achieve in terms of your strategic priorities in the quarter, which ladder yourself up to, say, a 12-month goal? So let's say you've got a revenue target for 12 months. You can break that down, get very metrics-driven over what that needs to be by month. In the quarter, what do I need to do? What are the milestones I need to hit? And then focus with absolute you know, productivity and discipline and everything on just achieving those one to three things. Have all of your team focused on that. Have all the performance measures focused on that. And then what tends to happen is you, you've got these natural cycles where you'll get a lot done, big things done, and then you can move forward and you can pivot appropriately because you've got four cycles in, a, in any 12 months to be able to do that. I agree. And that can be a game changer. It can be a game changer I, I, I think one of the things that is happening across the world, and just because we have been trained or we 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 have become part of a culture that that, that sees everything as globally, and as a result of that, the the aftermath of what's happening today and the effect, the impact that has has on the total global economy, has had a tremendous indirect impact on our local economies. Okay, so well, how do how do companies begin to rebuild um, uh, and re, regain the confidence of the consumer 
to go out there and to reactivate, to kickstart the economy again, what would be some of the steps that we need to take as leaders, as governments, as institutions to reactivate, to kickstart the economy? Because I think, you know, all it boils down to is a consumer. If we can't get people out the door, if we can't get people out on the streets, it doesn't matter what we do. There's only so much that they can do uh, on, 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 on social media. There's only so much that we can do. How do we get, how do we get people kickstarted? Yeah, so the, I mean, the first thing we probably have to talk about before we get into that question is uh, there, there's, a real, there's a real threat around safety here that, that we can't dismiss. And as much as I can be positive about stuff, I have known people through this who have died um, clients, neighbors, not in my people, people. So there, it, it's hit people in various ways. So we do have to acknowledge the fact that it's tough, I think, for people to know exactly what the right decision is in terms of governments making kind of protocols around when things should open and not. So that's a difficult one. I'll count, contradict myself slightly here by saying also, I don't think the media helps. Now, I did, you know, 20 years working in one of the biggest media companies in the world, and I know exactly what happens in those businesses. Sure. And I know, I know exactly what it means to sell newspapers and to get eyeballs on websites. Sure. So, you know, building, building a, an environment based on fear and uncertainty is always going to put you into paralysis. So the, the first and foremost part of that is, as we're now starting to see the science saying that obviously across the world there are various things that are the, the rates of people getting um, affected is, is dropping and you're starting to see things open, opening up, you're starting to see uh, an increase in certainty and you're starting to see an increase in spending. But what's important here is this. All the consumers are either going to be employees or they're going to be running small businesses. Okay? So you'd assume that, right? So there's a point here. As leaders of business, particularly you say you're mid-market or larger corporate, one of the things you've got to make sure you're doing is giving more certainty back to employment, which is difficult, uh, or certainly being honest about what, what it means around are you going to come back from furloughing because there's a lot of big corporates that right now <laughs> I'm not yeah. talking about what that is. But if you can increase certainty of employment so people feel they've got a paycheck that's going to be coming in, then people are going to increase the certainty around their spending habits. Okay. Second point I want to make, though, I think is also crucial. I've got clients who have got businesses that are having record months, record periods of time through COVID. And some of them, quite a lot, are feeling guilty about the fact that they're having this. So a couple of them in sort of Amazon arbitrage businesses and things like that. And for people who don't understand what that is, that's, that's the channel between buying goods at a cheaper price and selling them at a higher price on Amazon. And obviously online retail has gone through the roof. So I've said to people, listen, if you're in that situation where you're having a great time, you can't feel guilty. What you need to do is double down on the fact that you have an opportunity right now to grow your business, but not for them, not because it's going to make them richer. It stimulates the economy. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that's the piece. If that happens more at scale and you've got the employee piece happening more at scale, that psychological thing will lift. As soon as that lifts, people will spend. Certainty increases and that gets the wheel spinning. So Absolutely. Really important. Absolutely. Completely agree. You know, there's also, there's also the, the, the under uh, the collateral damage that is being done, um, children going on fed sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, spousal abuse, uh, hungry children, uh, unattended children. Um, what impact is that going to have on society long term? Yeah, it's, 
and, and that's the elephant in the book in the room that no one wants to talk about, Nick. No, it's and this is the thing because everyone. This is where that that sort of information is hidden. But you're 100 percent right because there's 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 a lot of things that have happened through COVID. You know, we, we're talking a lot about employment and the economy and business, and obviously that's kind of you know where my focus has been. But you've got the positive impact on the environment, right? That's interesting. That's interesting, right? You know, again, not many people are talking enough about that. It's coming up, but you've got that. So that's a transition. But then you've got the other area where there's, you're right, there's been other things that are not being talked about. I, I believe, right, and this is probably more of a longer-term vision for myself, I believe that entrepreneurship is, is a force for good and has the power to transition things. It has the power to not only help people create freedom for themselves and wealth, but by doing that, it also has the power to transform communities and economies. And, and this is kind of why, why I do what I do. I want to be able to help people become successful in their businesses because I think once they create that freedom, you know, my belief is, and perhaps this is me being a little bit more optimistic, is that then they can, they can go off and they can create other good things in the world. So I think, you know, there's a place now where what you've just described is happening and it needs to be understood but I'm also a big believer on focusing on where we can focus to get the right energy and the right positivity. Not to put that under the carpet. It's not what I'm saying. But there's a piece here where when people are distracted and everyone's focused on one thing, it's very easy for us to all be focused on that one thing. So the thing to change is that. And then as soon as that happens, people have the space to be able to reconnect with the other things that are also important. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I mean, it goes right back out to getting the people activated, to getting the people out of their homes, to getting the people uh, to feel comfortable and, and, and at peace with what's going on uh, around them. Um, how do we focus on stimulating immediately our local economies? Because I think that's what's important. You know, how do we how, how do we focus on 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 not worrying so much about the big boxes, but it's stimulating uh, what maintains our local um, uh, economies for each uh, each independent community? Yeah, I, I'm seeing already, and it's early days on this, um, as things start to open up, I'm seeing a, a much more kind of coming together almost in villages. <laughs> and I, I live in a village, so I can say that in the, in the UK. Here. But there's, there's, uh, there's a real, uh, again, it's a positive thing. Of this. I'm seeing communities come back in a way that I, that I, I don't even think I've ever seen in my lifetime where this idea that you go down to the local shop and you support the local shop. You're seeing businesses get together. So there might be, um, uh, let's say, sort of logistical businesses that are helping local um, takeouts or local restaurants deliver food. And, and I'm hearing people kind of, you know, in my community saying, oh, listen, we don't want to go to the big supermarkets anymore. We want to go down to the little shop that's just opened and you have to line up, but I can now go and buy some meat there or buy some and it's really interesting, right? It feels like going back to the days before we had sort of mass commercialization of things. Absolutely. And what I, and what I hope, and, I, and I'm certainly doing this, I, I, I do, I'm seeing a shift here that people are feeling a, a greater connection with people. I, I think sometimes, you know, when there's, I don't know what it was like in the World Wars, I wasn't alive at that point, but sometimes when there's a big thing, connection changes. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that what will happen is that that's going to start to become more widespread, certainly for a period of time. And if that happens to your question, that starts to stimulate and gives people the opportunity to support the local economy again. And I do think it starts with looking after your neighbour and looking after what you've got on your doorstep. 
as opposed to then trying to save the bigger things. Because if everyone took that stance, if everyone thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to spend a bit more money down in my local shop. I'm not going to do what I did beforehand. I'm going to help that person keep a job so that they can, you know, support their family. If we all did that at scale, even for a period of time, it would get us back to a place of economic stability much quicker. Uh, absolutely. You are the founder of the uh, Felding Group, which is a growth accelerator that helps uh, companies improve business performance. Tell us a little bit about that and who is your key customer for that? Yeah, sure. I, I, I say, when people ask me this question, I say I focus on transforming good companies into great companies. And people kind of look at me and go, what does that mean? And, you know, what about bad companies? I said, well, no, I don't, think, I don't think there are bad companies per se. I believe there are companies that have lost their way. There was a point in time where they, you know, if, they, if they're in the world that I work in, which is in scale-up, it's normally a company that's gone through a startup phase. They've already got a product or a service that's working. And for some reason, they've lost their way. So I still consider that a good company. It's just not optimized. So I set up the fielding group um, mainly to work um, in, in investor-backed businesses, so private equity and VC, where... I was the guy that would go into businesses when an investment went bad. And I was normally considered the turnaround guy. And okay. I'd normally have to go in there and make all the, yeah, it's an interesting role. Um, but what people don't appreciate is the same playbook, the same systems that are needed for turnaround are the exactly same systems that are needed for scale up. Okay. All right. So what, one's got a negative connotation, one sounds really sexy and exciting. It's the same playbook. Same playbook, guys. So, so the fielding group was set up to do that. So I, I, I work, if I work with a founder or a CEO of a company, normally I'll go in there and say, like exactly what we said at the very beginning of this conversation, but where are you at? But let's work out. If your vision is not clear and watertight and you're not clear where you're going, then how do you expect to be able to take other people with you? So we focus on that. And then everything else is systems. Everything's about how do you bring in customers in an efficient way? How do you get predictability of your cash flows? How do you start to bring automation in? And, and I've got a strong belief across all of these things that every business, every business works at its best when it works on processes. And some people kind of throw tomatoes at me when I say that because it's not the, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to create this amazing thing. We need that, but that's not what scale-up is. Scale-up is taking that amazing idea and then turning it into something that can, can move quickly with momentum. So, so that's what I do. And it tends to be, as I said, investor-backed businesses, private equity, and I'm also quite big on acquisitions as well, Peter. So I'll normally go into these companies and I'll look at kind of the, the operating plan of what they're kind of doing now. And then I'll say, okay, how can we get there quicker? How can we get where you were trying to get to in your three-year vision in 12 months? What does that look like? And in many cases, I've worked with some companies and we've doubled their revenues in the space of three months by buying competitors, bringing companies together to create greater value. And as soon as you start getting more scale, more profitability, um, more value in these businesses, then they become very attractive. And I often say, we want to make a business that's so awesome, other people want to buy it, they want to invest in it. And once that starts to happen, that stimulates, back to my point before, the economy in a very powerful um, and very kind of um, dramatic way. As investors and entrepreneurs, what areas of businesses should be looking at today? What opportunities do you think, what areas would be available for us to look at? Yeah, so one of the things I'm, I'm big on is global smaller business. And this is, a, this is a bit of a weird one. So I'm not an investor in um, the tech startup world. I have invested in the tech startup world before. And in fact, a lot of my career when I was going in as chief exec in private equity businesses with tech businesses, mainly education technology. But I don't invest there, and there's a reason why. I think people have got a little bit... Um, 
into the romantic ideal of technology and the idea that, you know, I can create this thing like Uber or I can create this thing that's going to become a unicorn, you know, valued at a billion dollars. And sometimes the mission behind these things is is hidden by the entrepreneur's, I suppose, a view that they want to go and make a lot of money from something. And I, I kind of get, and I advise BC firms all the time on this, but I'm seeing so many. I had something like 17 people ask me for money last week. Right, and their ideas are okay, but but they're it's just becoming so saturated. Global smaller business is interesting. There's ten thousand people per day retiring in the United States from really good businesses that are making good money in local communities, but these people simply are just at the edge of their you know their, their retirement age. They don't want to spend every day going into their businesses. So what I say is the big opportunity for investment now is acquisition, personal acquisition of of these smaller businesses and communities where you can go and help the founder retire with with some money but if you can if you can introduce some more progressive things like marketing you can start to you know again bring some systems into those businesses you can end up making quite a lot of wealth for yourself from those things and i i have as i said i've got four businesses that we we own through acquisition i don't run any of them there's a general manager in them and all i do is help on the strategy but then i make sure that general manager knows how to run the business like a machine and often I can buy those businesses for, say, three times profit, but as I'm growing them, the multiple of the value of those businesses goes up. So eventually I can sell them at a higher rate than what I purchased them, or I can sell them into private equity for a lot more money. Yeah, and, and, and you know what the reality is, that a lot of the communities uh, lose uh, the growth, the development, the expansion as a result of losing two or four anchor businesses that supported, that created jobs in those local economies. That's right. Yes. Okay. And, and that drives away the, the younger talent, the new talent. They move on to go somewhere else. You know, I experienced that firsthand. You know, my, my, my capital investment is, is in the energy and gas sector in Mexico. And I experienced a lot of businesses when, when we went into major acquisition that were run by founders, founders that were ready to retire but they didn't have someone within the family that wanted to take over. And there were very traditional businesses. There were multi-million dollar businesses that the sons or daughters didn't want to run. You know, they, they, they were in a different sphere. And uh, had some of those uh, acquisitions not been made, the, lo- the impact in the local economy would be tremendous. There may be employing three, 400 people that are not going to be able to get a job nearby. I, I fully agree with this strategy. I mean, and this is this is why some people, when they when they um, meet me or speak to me, and I and I do an interview like this, they expect me to say, "Yeah, go to Palo Alto and put some money into the next whatever it's going to be, you know, Uber or whatever." And I don't say that. I say the exact opposite of what people expect. I say there are good companies. I mean, some of the some of the businesses that we look to invest in are um, window fitting businesses in Florida or car washes in Texas. And you kind of look at that and think, oh, that, well, that's not very sexy. But I tell you what, they make a lot of money. So from a wealth creation investment standpoint, they're great. But your point's the best one. You know, these, these are the lifeblood of these communities. You know, you've got businesses that have been there for 35 years. And so the last thing you want to do is have the founder because, you know, they might have got sick or their partners got sick and they can't run the business and they haven't got any succession plan. And what do they do? They go and close the business down. Absolutely. And that happens. And it happens like at a crazy rate. So you're much better off. I say this is why it's good for the investor because you're going to get those businesses at a lower price than, let's say, uh, you know, what you would expect. So I think you know I always look around sort of anywhere between two to four times the profit. 
in many cases, those businesses have been successful anyway, so they've made profit, so the, the person selling them has made money. The main motivation that they want to go is not because of the money. It's more about time. The time becomes even more critical as you get older. Critical anyway, but particularly it gets more intensified. So I'd say you're doing a good job in terms of trying to protect the economy, protect that small community. You're helping the person who wants to go off and do something else, and you're building a portfolio of things that you can then have for wealth creation. So it kind of has this trifecta effect of things. Absolutely. Nick, where can people find you today? Yeah, so they can find me. I've got a um, – well, firstly, listen to the podcast. The podcast, you know, again, if, you're, if you have a business or actually even if you just want to want to get a little bit of inspiration around kind of some of my, you know, story because I talk a lot about mindset. I talk about how you can transition from employment. I, I honestly believe there are a lot of people who are probably not thinking they're going to be going back to jobs. <laughs> So now may be the time to, if you have an entrepreneurial streak inside you, now may be the time. So the podcast, I've got the Scale Up Your Business community on Facebook, so people can come and join that. It's a great community. Lots of people kind of getting really energized around, you know, how they're working on their businesses. Um, or you can get me at my website, which is nickcbradley.com, uh, or just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I get so many people kind of, you know, just wanting to have a chat, and I try and, I try and have calls with people just to kind of give them a little steer where they need to get to. It's becoming very hard now, Peter, but um, I do my best to try and support and serve people as much as I can. Our podcast is called Coming Clean, and there's a reason for that. Is there anything that you want to come clean about today? Oh, you know, you push me because because you asked about my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> that was what he said. Um, I can, I'll tell you what I'll, I'll give you on this one because – I kind of alluded to it, but perhaps I wasn't as direct as I could be. I said beforehand I wasn't a very nice person when I was kind of going through those corporate things. And to be frank, I was an arsehole, right? And, and I wasn't a very, wasn't very happy with myself. And I kind of, I want to come clean on the fact that, you know, that wasn't the real me and I probably hurt a lot of people. And I still feel, you know, the hairs are going up on my arm as I say this. I still feel that I, I haven't closed that. I haven't closed that wound, if that makes sense. So I haven't really shared that before, but I try and serve people as a, as a, as a way of patching up kind of what I went through during that time. So I suppose the coming clean is, is apologizing to everyone that I hurt when I was not the best version of myself. And um, my commitment going forward is that, you know, I'm definitely moving towards that best version every single day. Wow, powerful stuff. Kind, caring, compassionate. Nick Bradley, thank you for being with us today. Stay tuned for this episode. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on, on Instagram and, of course, Facebook. Stay tuned for this episode. Incredible human being, incredible businessman, and we look forward to having him again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. get it Hit a dash in my position. You will never Real talk, I get it from the Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Coming Clean Podcast. Make sure to join Peter and his next guest on a brand new episode as we continue changing and impacting lives across the world. Share this episode with a friend, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Go ahead and get it fast. Hit a dash in my position. You will